You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our reading this morning is from Romans 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Well, in prior generations, when someone was entering into a specific career path, the primary consideration, the sort of end-all, be-all, was base pay. What, I'm, what am I going to get on my paycheck? But today, research shows that this has changed. And even just a quick look into this topic, what you'll see, a theme that reappears when people are searching for jobs and searching to enter into specific career paths is the theme of benefits. And what younger generations, and specifically Gen Z, that are now entering into the job, uh, into the workforce, what they're looking for isn't simply base pay, it's benefits, 401ks, wellness programs, development opportunities, extended vacation, family leave, college savings plans, childcare, extra perks like coffee and cereal and kombucha on, on tap and all these sorts of things that they can experience in the workplace. And the reason for this is that this generation grew up through the recession. They were kids. And some, in some cases, teens, in a time of instability and loss, they knew what it's like to see the job market crash or to see industries go belly up. And so they want to reap some benefits in the now. They want things that they can concretely count on. It's not just about what they get on the payday or climbing the corporate ladder, but the everyday benefits that actually impact their experience. Now, why I mention that and why this interests me so much is that the primary question that people are asking today, specifically when they're looking to join something and to commit their lives to it, to make major life investments, the question they're asking is this, what are the benefits? What are the benefits? And this is an important question to explore. In fact, this is the question that the Apostle Paul is asking in answering, essentially, in this next portion of the letter of Romans. What he's done is he's laid the foundation for Christianity. 
that it is based on faith in the crucified and risen Jesus that our place in the family of God is not something that we can earn or we deserve, but it's something that we receive through humility and trust. And now he begins to explain what benefits come along with this. Look with me again in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, so that is Paul's summary of all he's said in the first four chapters. Since we have been justified by faith, we have. And he goes on to list those benefits. See, salvation isn't just a payday at the end of your life. Too many of us are treating salvation as some sort of fire insurance, our get-out-of-hell-free card so that we have a spot in heaven. To many of us, salvation is just something off in the distance that has very little to do with our today. Yes, salvation is eternal. Yes, there are, there's future grace for the, for the men and women of hope, but salvation means something for our today, something we experience in the everyday. It's what's been called the now power of the gospel, grace here and now. The psalmist in Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. It's really important both for those who are exploring faith and also for those who are already belonging that we are aware of these benefits. You and I should know the things that we can count on receiving and count on experiencing within our relationship to the Lord. But unfortunately, there are oftentimes those of us who belong, and maybe even, even belonged to faith for a long time, where we realize that there are benefits that we didn't even know about. Or often in cases for people, there are benefits that we had forgotten about. Either way, we need to remember, forget not all of his benefits. So, Paul, in these 11 verses or so, lays out a foundation for four primary uh, benefits that we have right now in and through Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes, the first is this. We have peace. Verse 1, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What do we have through Jesus? We have peace with God. Now notice something. Notice that it doesn't say that we have the peace of God, although that would be completely true. Peace of God is something that we experience as Christians. We have that inner peace and calm. But this right here is a very specific kind of peace. Peace with God. And we will only ever experience the peace of God after we have peace with God. Too many of us want and demand the peace of God, forgetting that there needs to be first peace with God. Now let's back up a little bit, like all the way. The default setting for humanity is not conflict. It was peace. God created the world to be enjoyed by humanity in total freedom and peace. In fact, the word, the Hebrew word to describe this existence is shalom. But when sin entered into our world and into our human experience, that shalom, that peace was shattered in all of its dimensions. You turn on the news, and you will see shalom shattered. And we're all, whether you're a believer or not, we are all in some way trying to put those pieces back together, desperately trying to rediscover that shalom in our lives. 
But what Paul is showing us here is that the greatest problem that we have to overcome in our lives isn't just inner turmoil or conflict with other people. It's not just our anxieties or our angst or fear or loneliness or self-sabotage. It's not just our fighting and jealousy and conflicts and wars as real as those things are. These are all the effects that exist because of enmity with God. And that's where the healing has to begin. That is where your healing has to begin, with God. And the reason for this is that sin, as the Bible describes it, is a power struggle. Sin isn't just doing naughty things. It's a power struggle, a demand for power. When we sin, what we're doing is we're assuming the place of authority in our lives. We are claiming to be king over our lives in the place where only our creator has the right to rule and reign. And as many of you know, any time that two parties have a claim over one place, war is the result. When two people claim one space, War is the result. But the good news of the gospel is that God has initiated a peace treaty. God has offered peace and not temporal peace, not by rolling over and you know what, saying, you know what, let's just get along. We'll make a compromise. We'll meet in the middle. You can have this. I'll take this. You claim this. Let's compromise. That's not true peace. In fact, if you remember from our study in Romans 1, any time that God says, you know what, you can have it, that's not peace, that's punishment. It's described as the wrath of God that turns us over to our own way. But the Bible tells us here in chapter 5 that God makes real peace through his son Jesus Christ. Look with me in verse 10. While we were what? Enemies. Not just, you know, okay, people, you know, church-abiding people, good citizens, enemies. We were reconciled to God. Well, how? By the death of his son. This is such a big issue that it took nothing less than the death of Jesus Christ to resolve it. The cross is where the hostility is removed. Now, in 1944, uh, during World War II, toward the end of World War II, a Japanese soldier was sent to a small island in the Philippines called Lubang. And he was given a very specific mission, a task to complete. But very shortly after, uh, the Allied forces ended up defeating the Japanese Imperial Army in the later stages of the war. And and yet this, this very dedicated lieutenant was able to evade capture. And while most of the troops, and eventually all of the troops, withdrew or surrendered, this soldier did not. And history tells us that for 29 years, almost 30 years, he lived hiding in the jungle, continuing to carry out his mission, living an extremely anxious and lonely life continuing to fight, and and in fact, sometimes even killing some of the villagers that he assumed were enemies for years and years and years and years after the war had already been ended. And the question is, why? 
And the answer was, is because he was unwilling to believe that the, that the war was over. He was unwilling to receive the news that the war had ended. And it wasn't until 1974 that he finally laid down arms. And it was only after one of his former commanding officers personally traveled from Japan to the Philippines in order to call him out of hiding and personally inform him, you are relieved from duty, the war is over, it's safe to come out. And the application is this, the gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ is the announcement that the war is over. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ and because of the ministry of Jesus Christ, God is not against you. God is not a threat. For the Christian, God is only and always for you. For you. The enmity of sin has been replaced with the freedom of salvation for the believer. And you see, the benefits that we desire in the Christian life, the benefits of peace within and the benefit of peace with others will only come when we're willing to receive this news and to experience peace with God. And so here's the application. Lay down arms. Come out of hiding. Or as Paul would say elsewhere in Scripture, be reconciled to God. He has made the provision. The peace treaty has been extended. Receive it by faith. Amen? The second gift that we have, the second benefit if you're taking notes, is access. What do we have through Jesus? We have access. Look with me in verse 2. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So this benefit of access means that we have unrestricted, an unrestricted pass into the inner chambers of heaven and into the very presence of God through prayer. It's a pass, not just to kind of come and go, but to remain there, to stand, to stay with God. Now, there are tool, uh, tours where you can, like, pay to go visit somewhere special. You can go, I don't even know if this is a thing anymore, but you can go visit the White House. Or you can go visit, like, specifically, you know, important places. I remember as a kid, because I, I grew up in the Sacramento area, we would go often visit the state capitol. And especially for a kid, it was a very VIP sort of experience. You were behind the scenes. You were in these otherwise closed-off chambers and offices. But despite the sort of VIP experience, throughout the tour, even as a kid, I realized that there was a clear line between the visitors and those who actually belonged there. And when your hour-long or, or two-hour-long tour is done, You've got to leave. You don't, you don't get to stay. You don't get to, like, show up in the middle of the night in your pajamas and be like, oh, you made me feel so at home earlier. That was such a VIP experience. I'm going to crash here tonight. I'm going to call the cops. Grace, here and now, means that you are not just a visitor. You're not just a visitor with limited access. It means that you are a full-fledged family member who belongs. Grace means that you belong with all of the rights and the responsibilities. Some of us want the rights without the responsibilities. But all that comes with being a child of God. Through Christ, you belong, period. Period. 
But even when this access is ours, we still have to fight the feelings of being outsiders. This is, I think, the true challenge for believers. We have to dare to believe and actually act upon this access that is ours. Have you ever been invited to something special, like a special party or a special event, where you look around and you realize, okay, like people are going to eventually figure out that I don't belong here. I I just feel like I don't, like somehow they made a mistake in inviting me here. There's actually a phenomenon that nearly 70% of people will experience in their lifetime, and it's called the imposter syndrome. And it's the feeling of not belonging where we are, like our friends or our family members or our colleagues are going to eventually figure out that we're a fraud. That, that we're really not smart enough, we're really not gifted enough, we're really not interesting enough, that we're really not actually that qualified to be who we are, to be where we are, to be with whom we are with. And there's a sense that our life is like this um, house of cards, that at any second it could fall and we'd be exposed as just a fraud. I remember officiating a wedding for a uh, a billionaire, and not a millionaire, billionaire. And there were people in attendance that were on the Forbes list of wealthiest people in the world. Not that I checked or anything like that, but <laughs> the word has it. And while Michelle and I enjoyed this wedding, while we enjoyed you know, the benefits of good food and drink and all those sort of things, for me at least, there was this feeling uh, throughout the whole ceremony and throughout the whole reception, like, I don't belong here. I really don't fit in here. Now, while I didn't have like the most important role that's kind of reserved for the bride and groom, I kind of had an important role. I was officiating the wedding. And not by chance or like last minute, they'd sought me out and invested time in our premarital counseling. Like they were invested. I was invited. Like I, I had an important place there, but I still, feel, I still felt out of place. I still felt like I was crashing this party and like, like I didn't belong. And so what ended up happening is I start feeling self-conscious. I start comparing myself. I'm like, I used to like this suit, but now I realize that that bottle of wine over there costs like twice as much as the suit. And I start being self-conscious about the words I'm using. Do I sound smart enough? Do I sound sophisticated enough? I just, I don't know, do I belong here? Grace, here and now, changes this sort of insecurity entirely. Because it reminds us that the access that we have, by the way, into the greatest thing the world has going, isn't based on whether we earned it or we deserve it. In fact, pay attention here. The guest list has been spelled out in this passage. Who did grace come for? Who is grace incarnate welcoming in to belong? It's the weak. It's the ungodly. It's the sinner. Who can belong? The weak, the ungodly, the rebel sinner. You know what that means then? Who are the imposters? Specifically, who are the imposters among us? Well, it's the inverse. Those who claim to be strong. Those who claim to be godly. Those who claim to be sinless in and of themselves. Those are the imposters. Those are the frauds. Those are the ones that don't belong. 
And so to be justified means that God stands before the whole party, so to speak, before heaven and earth, and says definitively, I want to welcome so-and-so. They are my child. They belong here. I have invited them, and no one can revoke their access. Okay, carry on. Luke 15 says that heaven stops and celebrates when one sinner repents. Heaven's like, that's what I'm talking about. They're in now. And no one can revoke their access. Can I get an amen? If you hold to this benefit, if you take hold of this, I promise you, mark my word, it's going to change your life. I'm not making crazy claims here. If you lean into this benefit of access, it is going to change your life. It's going to change how you relate to other people. It's going to change your decision-making process because it's going to mean that you can stop making compromises to, to gain access into career opportunities because you already got access. And it's going to mean you can stop lowering your standards to get access to romantic relationships because you've already have access to the lover of your soul. And it's going to mean you're going to stop trying to be someone that you're not to join some sort of friendship circle that really doesn't matter because you have the great friend of heaven. It means you already have access and the kind of access that you truly will ever need. Third, if you're taking notes, the third benefit that we see here is joy. Look with me again in verses two through five. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. That's weird. I'll come back and explain that. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. A couple weeks ago, uh, they released some research that rated America's cities by happiness. And the study incorporated three dimensions. It was emotional and physical well-being, income and employment, and community and environment. And they factored in all sorts of, all kinds of factors, uh, qualitative and quantitative data. Depression rates, life expectancy, food insecurity, income growth rates, job satisfaction, commute time, divorce rates, crime, weather, and access to parks. You name it, all sorts of factors. And as you could probably guess, Stockton scored toward the very, very bottom. And then you add a very, Another very, very difficult layer of being now officially one year since the impact of, of COVID-19 in our nation and in our community. So let's, let's just think about that. L living in one of the least happy places in America during the least happy times of our lifetime. And in a community like ours and in a historic moment like ours, joy just seems really out of reach. In fact, joy seems unrealistic. And yet, as the Bible shows us, these are the times and these are the places where joy shines brightest. The Bible tells us that there is actually joy to be found in our sufferings. We rejoice in our suffering. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that we thank God for our suffering. It doesn't mean that we rejoice about our suffering. Thank you, Lord, that... You caused me to develop allergies in my mid-30s. I'm so enjoying this. Thank you. What a great time to be alive and outdoors. Or thank you, Lord, that anytime I do anything now, my knee hurts miserably. Every day, every day I wake up, I'm just in pain. Thank you, God. I'm celebrating this today. 
It means instead that there's joy available in the suffering. There's joy in that place. There's joy available in the pain. There's joy available in the misery and discomfort. See, when the Bible talks about joy, it describes it as a deep, durable delight in God. It's a sort of, sort of, it's this like subterranean hope that carries us whether we feel it or not. It's the emotion that refuses to allow pain and discomfort and challenge to define us. It's one that trusts that God's goodness and God's mercy will always have the last word over our life. It's the emotion that causes us to rise above and transcend our really difficult circumstances. To illustrate this, a, a story that I think it's a story from the Bible that I think it's probably been one of the most important and impactful in our church community over the last year is the story of Paul and Silas in prison. I've preached on this. I've heard it come up multiple times in our prayer meetings and multiple conversations. And we're told in Acts 16 that Paul the apostle and his missionary companion Silas are traveling, preaching the gospel. They come to a city called Philippi. And they preach the gospel, and guess what? Lives are changed. People are set free. And the city begins to be changed dramatically. But because power structures exist the way that they do, there are people that are set up to be rewarded and succeed based on other people's spiritual and practical oppression. And preaching of the gospel disrupts the status quo. People get mad. They end up getting beaten, chained, and imprisoned for their faith. In Acts 16, verse 24, it says, And the jailer put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But, so that's the circumstance. Beaten, imprisoned, chained into the darkest, deepest dungeon. There they are. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They're beaten, chained, and imprisoned, and they're singing. See, the benefit that we have as believers is the ability to tether our emotions to something outside of our jail cell, so to speak. How do we have joy in our sufferings? We anchor our joy to something outside of our difficult circumstance. A North African early church theologian named Tertullian once said that the legs do not feel the chains when the heart is in heaven. The legs don't feel the chains when the heart is anchored to heaven. Or said differently, how do we have joy in our suffering? It's when we anchor it to someone who meets us in it. We have joy in suffering because we have Jesus in our suffering. Because we're never alone, amen? Now, this doesn't mean that we disregard the challenge or the adversity or the suffering that we or anyone else in our community is experiencing. Joy happens when we look through the pain with hope. We rejoice because, as Paul says, we're confident of the outcome. 
as he, he lays this, this amazing progress or, or process out here in these verses, he says suffering is producing endurance. What is happening in our suffering? God is producing perseverance in us so that we are men and women of staying power. And endurance is producing character. What that means is that I am actually becoming a better person by the very circumstances that often make people worse. And character is producing hope. I'm becoming someone, by God's grace, that dares to trust God's power and promises more through the pain than ever before. Friend, for too long, we have believed that suffering is a threat to our joy. That is a very natural thought. Suffering eliminates joy. But the Bible tells us something very different. Something, joy, or, or, or suffering rather, is something that can be leveraged to actually maximize our delight in God. And we have the benefit of joy that no one or nothing in our life can ever take away. Let's look finally at the benefit of love. Love. Now, Paul describes this, this final benefit of our salvation here as first, an inner experience of love. This is a very experiential thing here. Look with me in verse 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. What that means is that we have an unending source of love in and through the gift and indwelling of the person of the Holy Spirit. God has given us his spirit and through the spirit, his love. Now, I, I grew up north of here near the Folsom Dam. And every year, multiple times a year, as the spill off, or, or the, um, what's it called, the runoff from the mountains comes into Folsom Lake, it begins to fill it. And so they have to open up the spillways. And as they, they open up these spillways, Tens of thousands of gallons of water per second just come pouring out. It's just this powerful force. It's loud. In fact, if you, you get close to it, you can feel the rumble of all this water being poured out. But as powerful as the, the, this force, you know, the force of these spillways is, it is just a dim reflection of the endless source of God's eternal love that is ours when we open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit. Someone doesn't want us to hear this right now. <laughs> as powerful as that display is, God's Spirit and God's love being poured out into our lives is all the more powerful. The unending sources, the storehouses of God's love coming into our experience, coming into our lives, coming into our hearts. And we experience this as we yield to the Holy Spirit, as we open ourselves up to the Spirit, as we trust in Him. But this is both a subjective experience and it's also an objective proof. It's subjective, but it's also objective. Look with me in verse 8. But God shows His love for us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. He shows his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
And so this isn't just something we feel inside. This isn't just something we experience inside. It's also something that's historic and visible that's been displayed by God once and for all. There's a scene from the old Disney classic, uh, Little Mermaid, where Ariel is, is you know, p- pulling the petals from the flower. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. And for many of us, this illustrates our view of God. I feel his love today. He must love me. Gosh, I feel so disconnected from God. He must not love me. Man, I had the most incredible day. God must love me. Man, I had the worst day. God must not love me. We're vacillating back and forth. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. But Paul says, no, that's not how it works. God has proven it once and for all. And there will be days where you don't feel the love of God. Those feelings come and go. And let's be honest, there are going to be long seasons where we don't feel that. I meet men and women that have not felt that love and that connection from God for years. But wherever you are, whatever you're feeling, the benefit of faith is that we can simply look to the cross and see the unending proof. He loves me. He loves you. The question's been settled once and for all. It's been displayed on the cross. Kevin Costner uh, shared a story about Whitney Houston at her funeral. And the story was that they, they met on, uh, for a screen test for the movie Bodyguard, which is like a, a classic. And, but when it came time for the screen test, they couldn't find her anywhere. And so everyone's looking for Whitney Houston, and he goes looking for her as, as well. And Costner actually finds her in her dressing room, and she's sitting down staring into the mirror, and she's just stuck. And he asks, what's going on? And, and she simply responds, will people love me? Are people going to love me? Think about that. At the height of her career, millions of adoring fans, millions of people that would love to be with her, and she was still crippled by the fear of whether or not she was loved. You know what that illustrates? What that illustrates for us is that no amount of human love or recognition is ever going to fill the void within Because even millions, and I mean millions, of adoring fans cannot settle the question of whether or not we are loved. You and I require a love that is stronger. You and I require a love that is steadier. You and I require a love that is sacrificial. You and I require nothing less than the love of God displayed through the cross of Jesus Christ. And the honest truth is this. Human love is going to come and go, and Whitney Houston is an illustration of that. Loved today, mocked tomorrow. Human love is fickle. Human love is going to fail us. Even today, we live in the the age of self-love, but self-love can never satisfy that desire either. 
we need something stronger. We need the love of God through Jesus Christ and this benefit of salvation that is ours means that we never have to wonder whether or not we will be loved. We never have to fear a loveless experience, a loveless existence, a loveless future ever again. It's been settled. It's ours. So let me conclude with this. What does grace here and now mean for our today? It means that we have peace with God. He is for us. And it means we have access to God. We belong with him. And it means that we have the joy of the Lord. No amount of suffering is ever going to be able to take us under. And it means that we have the love of God, which satisfies our heart's desire. These are the benefits that are yours and mine when we simply trust in Christ. And as Paul has been saying all along, this is something that you cannot earn. This is something that you, des you cannot deserve. This is something you can't lose or fall out of favor for. It's a gift of grace to be received by faith. We simply open ourselves up to God and say, I receive all of it. Pour your love out into my life, into my heart, and we will never be the same again. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. For